Titus chapter 2, and I want to talk tonight about the need for godly men. And, um, and we'll kind of see where this goes. been uh, chewing on some, some thoughts here. Didn't do as much uh, uh, cross-references and stuff as I wanted to as we unpack this. But uh, uh, some, some really good, uh, good meat here in this portion. But let's go ahead and read uh, just the first two verses together. Titus chapter 2. And starting in verse number 1, the Bible says, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, uh, temperate, temperate, there it is, uh, sound in faith, charity, in patience. And let's pray. Father, I ask that you would help us tonight. Uh, Lord, uh, be with my thoughts, uh, be with, uh, be with our, our attitudes and our spirit this evening as we consider uh, the need for some godly men. To, uh, to step into the, that role in your church. And uh, Lord, I, I just believe in the day that we're in, this is one thing that's truly lacking in many of the, the modern churches today. And uh, Lord, I pray that uh, as you are establishing some things and setting a course and direction for this church, Lord, I pray that you raise up some godly men and that would really lay down uh, a foundation and, a, and uh, uh, the blueprints, really, of... Uh, for for years to come, if you tarry, of uh, of godly men leading your church and uh, and taking that charge, pray that you'd help us now in these next few moments. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. In Titus, as we've been uh, been going through it, am I on here? Yep. Um, been uh, been studying this uh, the book of Titus. We started out in Titus one, as uh, as Paul gives Titus the not only the charge but and the responsibility to do some things, but really the purpose of what he's doing. And he said, I sent you there to create, for, to, to take care of some things. A lot of churches have a lot of needs. Uh, there are some things that were disorderly, so I need you to go set some things in order. And maybe there are some little things from sort of how to organize the church services to some more difficult things like doctrinal error and issues. And uh, what had happened was uh, some of these churches had no leadership, so he said uh, he went and he was ordaining some, uh, some spiritual leaders, some pastors and uh, elders, in these churches, and then, uh, uh, and then he would warn them and challenge these men to go and rebuke uh, uh, sharply uh, so certain types of people. In verse 10 of chapter 1, For there are many that are unruly and vain talkers and deceivers. Uh, their mouths must be stopped. In verse number 11, um, there, uh, uh, it talks about how uh, they must be rebuked sharply, uh, they'd be sound in the faith. And, uh, and kind of lead, uh, talks about all the things that, that they were drawing people and, and, and turning them astray and causing them to get sidetracked with these Jewish fables and traditions of men and, and so forth. And we see in verse number 16, it says, they profess that they know God. This is a key verse. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. So, so we see here, it, uh, Titus 1 starts off with, uh, with the need and the, the qualifications of the leaders of these churches. Here are the guys you look for. Why? Because there's the propensity when there's a vacuum, these other guys will rise up. So we see the church leaders. But then when he, after he's done dealing with the church leadership, we're going into the next section where he's going to start talking about the people of the church. And the first group of people that he's going to deal with are the men of the church. Why? Because men, God has put the charge onto them to, to take up the leadership and to take up the standard and to lead their homes and to lead their churches. And I just want to say this, uh, the, the contemporary church today is in dire need of some men to take up uh, the leadership in the churches. 
Your, your average church, I'm talking about your average Baptist church. You go in there today, and what do you, what do you see? You see the women running everything. Now, that's not to, do, to, to diminish women's role. I'm very thankful for, for all the servants and everything. But, but when you look at Scripture, you look at God's standard for things, uh, God wants men to be leading things. And by the way, God wants husbands and wives to be serving together. Uh, a lot of times what we do is we, we stretch ourselves so thin if we're not careful, we're actually splitting up families and splitting up the husbands and wives. And, and I, think, uh, uh, you know, I think young people should see uh, the dynamics of, of a husband and wife serving together. Uh, should, should see some of these things, uh, these interactions. But, but here we start off with so the, the call for men to be godly men in the church. Notice, notice in verse number one it says, but. You know what he's doing? He's contrasting the, what we just saw. There were certain ungodly men, they came in, they professed that they know God, but, uh, but they deny Him with their works. They deny Him with pulling people away and so forth. And, uh, and so, so He's given this, uh, this challenge, this next step of, of the challenge for these men. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Now notice, the other people, they were speaking certain things. But notice in verse 16 again, he says, but in their works they deny him. They're speaking certain things. They say that they know God, but in their works they deny him. If we were to jump ahead to chapter 3, in verse number 8, it says, this is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, um, that they which uh, have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. In other words, um, you, your, your behavior, your, or your belief rather, will affect your behavior. And those that believe in God, they truly have been born again, they believe in God, God's making a difference in their life, it impacts what they do. These other guys, they have a lot of words, they have a lot of speech, but it's not impacting what they do. In their works, they're denying God. And so, the things which become sound doctrine. You know, it's interesting when you were around a godly man, especially a godly older man, you don't have to spend much time with them before somewhere along the way they start talking about the Lord. You know, you might, uh, you might have a lunch with somebody, you might visit with somebody, and you'll talk about other things, other interests, you know, but, but at some point, those words are going to start coming out as sound doctrine. Um, I remember, uh, you know, when I, I took a church and and, uh, and everyone loved to talk about their work, jobs, all these different things. And, and we do that. That's kind of a natural thing. How, how's work going? Right? I was asked that tonight. How's work going? We, we do that. We want to know what's going on in people's lives. There's nothing wrong with that. But when that becomes the end all, uh, listen, I'm more than my job. And by the way, even as a preacher, I'm more than my profession. I'm more than my job. Um, you know, who, I am, who, who am I? I'm a child of God. I, I'm an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ. That, those, are the mo- those are more important things of who I am than what I do for a paycheck. You see? And, uh, and those, those are the things I want to get to. I want to get to, you know, what's going on? What's God doing in your life? What's God doing in your home and with your children? And those kinds of things. We want to we kind of start steering things around to, uh, to, to really, it, that, that's real biblical mentorship and discipleship of challenging each other, provoking one another to love and to good works. And so notice what it says, but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. The word there, speak, the verb tense there is interesting. It's a, 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 it's a present, um, um, what is the word? It left me, I had it, it left me. 
It's, uh, it's, uh, it's in the present, obviously, but, uh, but it's, a, um, uh, it's, a, it's a present command. And the idea is that it's something that you are to be constantly doing in the present. Just like you are to be filled with the Spirit. You are to speak things that become sound doctrine. You know, we have a lot of people, a lot of men today, that are, that are uh, double talk. They, they're, you know, depending on who they're around or the circumstance, uh, there's a double talk going on there. And, uh, and uh, or they'll, you know, they'll say one thing, and then yeah, that's what we saw in verse 16. They profess that they know God, but in their works they deny Him. And, uh, and these guys, they're unsound, they're unstable uh, in their speech. You know, I'm at church, and I'm with the brethren, and I'm saying things like amen and praise the Lord and all that kind of stuff, but then when I'm on the job side, you know, uh, curse words go flying, or, you know, and, and that's not uncommon. I worked with a guy once, a, a former missionary, and uh, it's, it's what I witnessed. And the words would fly because, uh, because of the type of uh, uh, career field I think I was in, and, and that's just the talk in that career field. I'm thinking, that ought never be a Christian. We ought to be, we ought to be speak, speaking things that become sound doctrine, not this double talk. You know, we need some men that are hungry for the word. By the way, how do you become sound, doctrine, sound doctrinally in your speech? You got to get in there. It's in your heart. Which means, you know, we need some men that are excited about the things of God. We need some men that are excited to open up their Bibles and to, and to get something from the Lord every single day. We need some men that are excited uh, to, 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 to hear the preaching of the Word of God. And by the way, I know you're saying, well, you're really talking to the men. Half the half people here tonight are women. Uh, we'll get you next week, okay? Uh, but, but, but really, this part of these things do apply to both. And uh, we need some godly men and women, but, but specifically want to zero in on the men because I do believe as the men go, so goes the church. If we go back to the Garden of Eden in the fall, well, you want to be really popular in this day and age. Let's talk about some, some, some of the fundamental things back in the Garden of or back in the uh, in Genesis, really. And you really want to stir up some things. A part of the curse that was given to Eve was that his, her desire would be to, is to be over her husband. But he would rule over her. That's God's order. Right? It doesn't mean one is less or one is more important or whatever. This is just God's order. And let me just tell you, when things get out of order, well, we see in our world today what happens when things are out of order. And, uh, and so, so God said, this is part of the structure I'm giving you. And quite frankly, it really is a part of the curse because in many, in many marriages, I think I can prove this, in many marriages, let me just say, the woman is smarter. All right, women, if you got a chance to say amen, that was your chance, okay? The woman is smarter, all right? Uh, men, men, men are going to work by the sweat of their brow and the women are going to think, okay? And, <laughs> and they can multitask and all that kind of stuff. You, you want to you see something messed up, give a man uh, many, many tasks to do and little time to do it and he starts multitasking he's going to make a mess of it all. And, uh, but but what, I, what I'm saying is that's part of the fall, but let me just say it creeps into churches, it creeps into Christian homes, it creeps into these kinds of things, you know, where, where mom is making all the decisions and mom is, is, is setting the course and and, and it's very easy to fall into that. Why? Because dad's away from the home most of every day. You see? And it takes a, a godly woman to say, say, well, I want to help my husband to lead. 
and I'm going to let him lead. And by the way, uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great way, great, great ability uh, a godly woman has to help influence her husband in a good godly direction. Right? And to encourage him to take up that leadership role. But, uh, but, but anyways, uh, that comes into the church. And what I'm saying is, as the men go of a church, so goes that church. By the way, when we have visitors and people come in, they're going to see how the men respond to things in a church. They're going to notice some things. Are they nodding off during the preaching? Or are they excited to hear the preaching? Are they engaging in spiritual conversations, or are they, you know, is, is everything just sort of surface level? Are they quick to get out of here? By the way, I'm very thankful for, for our church. We, we do want to sit around, and we do want to have spiritual discussions, and, and, and those are some of the things that, that I believe we've been very intentional about of those foundational things, because that becomes very foundational. That's, what, that's, that's New Testament Christianity. That's what they did uh, in the book of Acts. And that's what they did every day. These new believers and even older believers, uh, day to day, house to house, breaking bread and fellowship and prayers. And, you know, they, they, they had singleness of heart. There was a great unity. When people come in, they can discern if there's a spirit of unity. They can discern, uh, uh, you know, how are the men of this church? By the way, do the men of the church know each other? There are a lot of churches, men don't know each other. The women are the ones that get making their rounds. And, uh, and, and what I'm saying is this. He says, but speak continually, be willing and being ready. It's the overflow of the mouth, the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Uh, speak the things which become sound doctrine. Look at, uh, look at First Thessal- uh, sorry, First Timothy uh, 6 real quick. First Timothy 6. <clears throat> And in verse number three, there was a cookie crumb in my Bible. Not for me, obviously, but First Timothy six, look at verse three. It says, If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, you know, God desires his people to speak wholesome words. Even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the doctrine which was according to godliness, get this now. It, 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 let me back up and let you get the understanding here. If anyone does not consent to wholesome words and to the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strife, uh, strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and uh, destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. Boy, there, there's so much there. I, I wish I had time to just kind of unpack that verse, those verses. Here's the idea. And by the way, I've been in churches and I've been around environments where, where it's almost, you know, it's almost eye-rolling. Like, you know, we're outside of the actual service and you guys want to keep talking about the Lord? These guys about the Lord again. Careful now. If anyone's consenting not to wholesome words, and the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, you know, oh, you know, well, well, you know, church doesn't have to always be about you know edifying each other and all that. Isn't that what the Bible says? That we're constantly building each other up and edifying one another in love and and challenging each other to grow in the Lord Jesus, uh, grow, grow grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What I'm saying is this. There are going to be other things. We're going to enjoy, you know, this, this upcoming Sunday. We're, we'll probably pull out some board games. 
We'll probably enjoy some time together. Why? Because we're a church of friends. But, you know, our main goal and our main purpose, why we assemble and why we come together, whether it be in a formal service setting or just having other church people ever at your house, what are we wanting to do? We are wanting to, to help edify and build up and encourage one another. When you, when you minimize that, when you turn away from that, the Bible tells us you are proud and you know nothing. You've lost sight of the big picture. And that's really the bottom line. You've lost sight of the big picture. Folks, it's gotten so bad that it's crept into pulpits. We almost despise preaching and we despise spiritual things, even from the pulpit, that if I'm not quote-unquote relevant... Folks, I saw this church, they, they did a whole summer series. Uh, uh, every every uh, sermon was on uh, the latest movie that came out. As like their launch pad to whatever the sermon was. I'm not talking about like some Christian film. I'm talking about the latest blockbuster. I'm like... You talk about what fellowship about light with darkness. And, and they've lost sight of it. Why? Because, because there's, the, the men aren't passionate about the things of God in the church. The pastor's not feeding them uh, meat and spiritual things. So what is it? It's entertainment. And the only reason there's a man standing behind a pulpit uh, doing anything is because, well, that's just what you're supposed to do if it's a church. <laughs> and so they've got to check all the boxes to consider it a church. So like a church that was in the town that Carrie and I were in in uh, Southern California, they, they actually advertised that uh, you'll be out in 30 minutes or less. It's like you come to church to leave. And I'm like, what is that, a, a tithe back guarantee? And <laughs> you come to leave, right? And I'm thinking, what's the point of this? Why are we here? And what are we trying to accomplish here? Folks, we need to be building up each other uh, with sound doctrine. Now, that brings us to the last part of verse number one. Speak, continually speak, constantly speak, things that become sound doctrine. Now, we're challenging. Notice there's a colon at the end of that, 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 phrase, uh, that, that uh, verse meaning that it's continuing on the sentence. Who's the content, who is the, the, the subject, if you will, the target of this particular uh, challenge? It's the aged men. And I'm going to say the men in general, because let me just say, we need to challenge our young men to put away childish things and become men. And it's going to be the aged men, they're going to teach the younger men how to do such things. See, we, we need to get past this whole thing where, where, where 30-year-olds are still kids, or 40-year-olds are still kids. I worked with a guy once when I was uh, in my 20s, and um, he was 39 years old. And my wife said, how old is he? I thought he was a teenager. Not because he didn't look his age, because he didn't act his age. <laughs> and, I mean, and she's like, really? I mean, the way he carried himself and everything? I mean, he, he was like a teenager still. And... Um, which we'll get into that in a minute, but, but here's the challenge. When we talk about things that become sound doctrine, you know, it's almost, it's almost despised these days for men to get sound in doctrine. Well, that's the pastor's job. If you're trying to witness to a coworker, or, uh, you know, maybe there's a new Christian, they're asking you questions, and, and they'll say, you know, uh, tell me a little bit about, in fact, I've been getting a lot of questions lately from them. Um, uh, from Derek about you know, the history of the Bible and, and, and church history and some of those kinds of things. If, if a man were to come to you or a lady were to come to you and, and ask you some questions of, uh, of doctrine, of church history, 
of some of these kinds of things. And, and, uh, and, you know, and, and here, here's, here's typically what the response is. Well, I'm not the pastor. Go ask him. Folks, we're to be sound in doctrine. We're supposed to know things. By the way, how is it that churches drift into apostasy? The people don't know what the Bible says. So, of course, they're going to follow any smooth talker that comes along. In fact, without beating around the bush, I'll just say it. If you just kind of see how the church split happened that took place, it was kind of over that. Just to boil it all down, what does the Bible say versus what do we want? And people that were sound in doctrine followed the Bible. I mean, that, that's kind of if you just want to boil things down to a very base level. I know it's, it's been a year, and I, I kind of don't talk about it. I beat around the bush sometimes with it, but, but that's kind of what happened. And I'm saying all that to, to say this. I'm very thankful for the interest in, in Faith Bible Institute. Because we have people that want to know what the Bible says. You know, I, I'm trying to shorten my sermons, I promise. But honestly, honestly, since we've been, since we've started the church, I have never heard a complaint on the length of my preaching. Now, I don't want to abuse that. Because, you know... The you know, longer sermons doesn't necessarily mean more godliness, okay? Um, but there is a hunger for preaching. Folks, that, that ought to be the case. There ought to be a hunger that I individually, personally, as a lay person, want to be sound in doctrine. Yeah, you all should desire that your pastor is sound in doctrine, amen? Yeah. But you should be sound in doctrine. And how in the world are you going to know if your pastor is sound in doctrine if you are not? What if I'm just a smooth talker, a good salesman? There are a lot of those out there. All right, by the way, don't worry, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not a smooth salesman. <laughs> but, but we want to make sure we're checking it with the scriptures. And so, so the challenge, especially to the men as they lead the, the way, is you must be sound in doctrine and you must speak the things that are sound in doctrine. Folks, if that is not what you are after, if that's not what your pursuit is, then, then, then as it said there in 1 Timothy 6, be very careful because you're proud. I don't need to study the Bible. I heard a man once say, you know, well, I've, I've, uh, you know, I've been a Christian for you know, 50 years. I, I've pretty much heard every sermon there is that to be preached. I was like, man, I haven't heard all the sermons I'm going to preach, okay? <laughs> You're proud knowing nothing, sir. But again, we've despised study. And we've despised these things. Well, you know, it's all that matters that we just have faith. They will come together to love, love God. What was Peter's admonition? That you would grow, get this now, in grace and in what? The knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Folks, those go hand in hand. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Folks, it's, it's, you know, it's one thing to have this, this fear of some ambiguous God. It's only another thing to know him intimately and personally. Who is this God? And what is he like? He has revealed himself to us on the pages of Scripture. We should know him. And he wants us to know him. Paul's passionate pursuit in life was that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his suffering. 
The, the, the word there for know is this experiential knowledge. To have a, such a close walk with the Lord that every time a stone is thrown at him, every time he's cast aside, every time he was shipwrecked, every time he was left for dead, every time he was whipped, every time he went through some sort of persecution, Christ was that much closer to him and that much more real to him to where he said, that's how I want to know him. Folks, we're so far removed from first century Christianity. church today is so comfortable. The mark of the church today is prosperity. The mark of the first century was persecution. You know, we have people like Joel Osteen, pastoring the largest church in the world, Christian church, standing up saying, I am successful. I am attractive. I am, all these I am self-affirmation statements. When you look at what Paul said, he said, oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this, this death? What a contrast. What happened? We aren't sound in doctrine. There's no passionate pursuit of Christ. Look at, uh, look at verse 2. That the aged men, why? They're the ones that set the standard. They're the ones taking the lead. You know one thing our culture has done, and, 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 and sadly, it, this also has crept into our churches. We've so despised age and so glorified youth. Can I just tell you, youth is foolish? Youth is foolish. I think one of the greatest lessons in the Bible, which forever changed the trajectory of Israel, was Solomon's son. Solomon's son takes the throne and he, he's got his little entourage of friends. You can just see them, right? They're so excited. Yeah. Our bro's going to be in the palace. That means we're going to be in the palace with him. Are we going to have parties? Are we going to have all, you know, you can just see it, right? And, and, uh, and they think that they're just going to have this, this uh, you know, they, they, they found their ticket. And here he is. He's like, man, I've got my friends. By the way, you think they like you because, you, uh, you know, you're such a charismatic person? No, you've got money. You've got some notoriety and those kinds of things, right? He's got all his friends there. But then he looked and he saw his dad's counselors. By the way, at the time of Solomon's death, things were not going good in the kingdom. His heart had been turned away from God. He had followed after his thousand women and their gods. And so the people weren't happy. So he goes to the old man and he says, what do you guys think I should do? And he said, you need to deal very gently with the, with the people. He said, your dad was rough with the people and, uh, and the kingdom, the morale in the kingdom is not good. You need to deal very kindly with him. Said, okay, okay. Those are his friends. Oh man, you're, you're large and in charge now. You need, to, you need to just come down on them. You need to let them know who's boss. From day one, let them know. Let the fear of, of you and of God be in them. And he's like, okay, let me think about this. He said, my dad whipped with whips. I'm going to whip with scorpion tails. He said, he said, you think my dad was tough. I'll be tougher. And the people said, okay. See ya. Split the kingdom. Which began the trajectory of Israel completely falling apart. What foolishness. What do these pimple-faced guys know about leadership and about the kingdom and about the hearts of the people? You know who knew a few things? The hoary heads. 
the gray-haired people, the people that had some experience. And you know, it's amazing. In America, again, we, 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 we've so glorified youth that the old people are disposable. They're the, you know, uh, you, know you, go to, you go to an Asian country, how do they view the older, elderly? Respect. Mm-hmm. I, know a, I know a man, um, uh, Dr. Don Sisk was a missionary in Japan. And uh, he started losing his hair, and his hair started graying at a very young age. Which at the time, he thought, this is horrible. But once he got to Japan, he started to realize people saw him in a different light because they thought he was older than he was. <laughs> so, hmm. Uh, missionaries out there in uh, Mongolia, the Kofers. Brother Kofer has a big beard. And uh, as an independent Baptist missionary, uh, some churches kind of frown on that. But when he got to Mongolia, he had a lot of respect for the man that can grow a big beard. And they would give him the honored seat among the elders. And they'd listen to what he has to say. Folks, it's not impressive when some kid has some, is passionate about some you know, latest thing. Kids are, uh, kids are excited about you know, Minecraft and gaming and, and gaming, all, all those other kinds of things, right? And it's like, there's no wisdom in that. But wisdom is, is with somebody who's been through a few things. Who's been through some tribulations. As the Bible tells us, tribulation work of patience. And patience, experience, and experience, hope. And hope maketh not ashamed. These guys are able to stand with boldness. Why? Because they've been through the fire and found God to be true. God to be faithful. And listen, I want to hear what that guy's got to say. Uh, uh, a month or so ago, I got to spend some time on the phone with... Uh, probably one of the great preachers of our day. He's probably, I don't know how many years he has left. But uh, Brother Doug Fisher. He's a guy who's been through a few things. In the last couple of years, he's had a few, several strokes. He's a former, he was a, a, a Marine officer, a scout. Tough guy, man's man. To see him so fragile and his hand shaking. Trying to get words out. And the most humble man I know. And I'm talking with him on the phone, asking how he's doing. He's kind of asking about some of the stuff we went through this last year. And he immediately, immediately jumps to how God's refining some things. How God's working some trials in my own life. And, and I'm thinking, I'm just going to listen. He's been through some things. That, that's who I want to learn from. It says that the age men, some things about these age men, that they be sober. That they be sober, grave, temperate, um, <clears throat> sound in faith, in charity, and in patience. Yeah, patience. Sober. The word sober means to be Clear-minded, if you would. Have, have a clarity there. Um, the Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5, 8, many of you know this, be sober, be vigilant, on guard, alert, awake, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walked the about seeking whom he may devour. Who's going to devour? Those that are not sober. Those that are not awake and alert. And what's interesting, when you start talking about sobriety, it's interesting, we use that word, usually it's got a connotation with alcohol or drugs. Right? Because what is it that alcohol and drugs impairs? Your mind. 
right? So we would say he was impaired or he was under the influence. The idea was that something else was making his, his, his reasoning and his mind and his reaction time, all that stuff was clouded. Let me tell you, you, when, you are, when you are facing an adversary, that's not the time that you want everything to be clouded. That's not the time when you want clouded judgment. That's not the time when you want a, a delayed reflexes. Uh, no, no, you want to be on guard, especially if the adversary is a lion. I tell you what, there are some adversaries I think I can handle. But if it's a lion... I tell you what, I need, I need every resource at my disposal if I'm going to defend against a lion. As a roaring lion walking about seeing whom he may devour. And folks, we have so many things that are clouding our judgment, clouding our minds, and, and drawing us to the left and to the right. I think about, you know, even today, you know, some very obvious things, how, how so many people are just addicted to all kinds of stuff. And doctors, many times, are the drug dealers. <coughs> And we need to be so careful that, you know, I was talking with Wes, and he was, and he was you know, overcoming his, uh, his nose job. And, uh, and he was saying, you know, he wanted to get off this stuff as quick as possible. And I've heard so many crazy stories of people that, that their addiction started because of a surgery. You know, get it out of their system as quick as possible. That's good. Why? Because you're not sound in mind. You're not sound in judgment. And as believers, as believer priests, as believer judges... God's called us to be these things. He, we are called to sobriety. We're called to clear thinking. Look at Proverbs 23 real quick with me. Proverbs 23, the, the, the importance of this. By the way, there's a lot of things that will cause us to get clouded. I think we can lose sobriety when we're uh, overtaken with uh, emotion. I think we can lose sobriety if we... If we um, uh, if our perspective is off, we don't go about things with a biblical perspective. I've literally seen people sitting in front of a television watching some news story, and they just start panicking. And that, my wife and I, we were, we were in Washington, D.C. in March of 2020 when everything was starting to shut down. Right? We, we rode the wave. We were ahead of the wave as, uh, as, as it was coming. We started in Ground Zero in New York City. We went down to Washington, D.C., and we just stayed ahead of the wave. Okay? We're sitting there in our hotel, and they start, they're talking about all these cases that are starting to pop up with COVID and, and projecting that this is going to quickly going to become a pandemic. By the way, I've never used the word pandemic before 2020. I don't know if I ever heard of the word pandemic. Before that, I've heard of epidemic. The pandemic. What is the pandemic? What in the world's happening? And my wife, we saw this guy. He's eating his continental breakfast, and he's sitting in front of the TV, and he's audibly getting shaked. He's audibly starting to say things like, "Oh no, oh my." Uh, he is like hyperventilating in his seat, watching the news. Can I tell you? There's gonna be a lot of that. The Bible talks about the last days. There's gonna be wars and what? Rumors of wars. What does that do? That's going to attack our sobriety, our clear thinking. We, we lose the faith. We lose sight that God's in charge, that there's something going on. There's a plan. But you know what's going to keep us clear-headed? What's going to keep us level-headed and, and our feet on the ground is, is, is knowing this book. And we are sound in our speech. And we are sound in our doctrine. We are sound in our theology. But, uh, but then there's the obvious things that are going to rob us of our sobriety. Look at Proverbs 23, uh, verse number, um, let's start with, let me get in the right chapter here. Look at uh, verse 29. Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? 
who hath contentions, who hath babbling, uh, who hath wounds without cause, who hath redness of eye, they that tarry long at the wine, they that go to mi uh, seek mixed wine. Look not upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth color in the cup, when it moveth itself uh, aright. Notice it says, don't look at it when it's fermented. It doesn't say don't drink it. It doesn't say don't drink too much of it. It says don't look at it when it's fermented. By the way, grape juice does not bubble. It doesn't move around. Okay? It's fermentation that does that. And it says, uh, uh, Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last it biteth like a serpent. It stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women. Thy heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or he that lieth upon the top of a mast. In other words, you're going to do things you would not do when you are sober-minded. They have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will see yet again. You know, they wake up and like, where did these bruises come from? Where did these... Well, I've got wounds without cause. This doesn't make any sense. But I woke up this morning and... I uh, looked in the mirror and I had a big bruise on my arm. I thought, what in the world? Carrie, he's beating me in my sleep They wake up with wounds without cause. What is going on here? And I'll seek it yet again. And they're living for this. And these are distractions. These are things that, that the devil is so carefully crafted to keep us from our alertness. I've used this illustration before. The devil is like a fisherman. And people are like fish. And in order for a fisherman to be successful, the fish have to be completely ignorant of his devices. He sees bait, but he is unaware of a hook behind the bait. And so what does the devil do? He wants us to, to, to rob us of any kind of sobriety that we might have, any kind of clear-headedness, clear thinking, that all we see is, oh, that's pretty. And, and, and not, not going at that thing with caution, like, you know what? There might be a hook there. There might be something behind this thing. So what does he do? He distracts us with these things, so much so that we'll live for it. I remember when I was in the army and uh, living in the barracks. They didn't use King James English, but this is basically what they were saying. People would get so drunk on the weekends and, uh, and having to do PT Monday morning and they're, they're throwing up and they're hungover and they're, all this stuff. And they're like, oh, I'm never drinking again. And they're, you know, they're telling their buddies, don't let me go out. I'm never drinking again. Come Friday. All right, guys, which bar are we going to? Really? Your memory's that short? All the while, they're completely oblivious to reality. They're completely oblivious to there's a heaven to gain and there's a hell to shine. There's a completely oblivious that there's a God. The aged men should, learn, should have learned to be sober-minded. Not to be distracted with the things of this world. To be clear-headed. Ephesians 5.18, of course, Be not drunk with wine, wine is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, see, make melody in your heart to the Lord. What's interesting is your average uh, Christian... We'll say, well, the Bible doesn't condemn alcohol, it just condemns excessive drinking. What's interesting about that passage, being not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, you have to ask yourself the question, what's the wherein describing? The alcohol itself. The alcohol itself is the excess. In other words, once you've had a sip, you've had excess. 
Because it's in the alcohol that the excess is. And, uh, and then we can even dive into the verb tense of that passage. I'm not going to Greek out on you, so don't worry. It says, be not drunk with wine or in his excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And the verb tense there for be filled, it's that same, that same present tense in the sense of uh, it is something that has to be present all the time, constantly, always being filled. And it's contrasting being drunk with wine. Be not drunk with wine. So, so if, and they're both the same verb tense, but one's in the negative. And so it says, if I'm to be being filled, if I'm consistently to be having the fullness of the Spirit in my life, and I'm to not be filled with wine, where it is excess, or drunk with wine, rather, where it is excess, the idea is, in the same verb tense, is the idea of don't even take the first sip that would lead you to drunkenness with the excess that is in the wine. There are three jobs in the Old Testament that were absolutely forbidden to ever even touch alcohol. The priest was never allowed to touch wine. Alcoholic wine. We are called to be believer priests in Christ. A judge was never allowed to touch wine. Why? Because he needs to have clear-headedness to judge matters. He's not to take it flippantly. And we are called to judge righteous judgment as believers. We are called to be judges. And then kings, for the same reason, the soundness of mind. Folks, you cannot fight a spiritual battle if you are lacking in your sobriety. Let's continue. The aged men have learned to be sober. The aged men should be grave. The word there, grave, is the idea of, uh, of, of uh, uh, dignified. It's, um, it's, uh, it's, it's nobility. It's something that they're not, they don't goof off. It's a uh, uh, and I'm not saying you can't have fun or you can't you know, play around with your grandkids or anything like that, but, but you realize there's a gravity to life. There's some serious things. Hey, when I was a child, I spake as a child, understood as a child, I spoke as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. I realized there's more to this life than just fun. And there's more to life than all the things that I was living for. Uh, when God has changed your perspective, when you start to have a biblical worldview, you start to realize, you know what, there are some things that are a little bit more serious in life, and they're starting to view life through that lens. And one of the reasons is because they've gained some understanding. And Solomon said in, uh, in Ecclesiastes, with more understanding is more sorrow. There's a gravity to it. There's a greatness to it. Because you realize life and death is at stake. You realize uh, some things, you know, if you're going to be one who speaks sound doctrine, you see every soul's potential for salvation. You see every person, let me just say, there's a gravity to that. Yes, I'm going to have fun, and yes, I'm going to enjoy life. Uh, you know, the Bible, Peter talks about enjoying good days and, and so forth. But, but, but the reality is this, I also don't want to waste an opportunity. I realize that, that myself and Ryan might have some things in common that would allow us to, to, to come together in a secular sense, uh, whether it be you know, maybe hunting or, or you know, whatever, the things that people do that, that might bring them together, right? Sports, whatnot. But a great person who has sound in doctrine is going to see Ryan as, yes, we have some things in common, but I am most concerned about his soul. So I'm going to, somewhere along the way, endeavor to bring the conversation to spiritual things because death and hell are at stake. 
There's a gravity to that. There's a graveness realizing, yeah, we're, it's okay to have some fun. Yes, it's okay to laugh. Uh, but, but the reality is this, that if I have not had an opportunity to share the gospel with them, as God has allowed them to cross my path, their blood is on my hands. There's a graveness to that. The aged men need to be sober. They need to be grave. They need to be temperate. They need to have some self-control. Let your moderation be known unto all men. Why? The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. Have you noticed the rise of extreme things? Extreme sports. Sports aren't enough anymore. They must be extreme. Right? Boxing is not enough anymore. They must be MMA. It's not bloody enough. We fall into that bloodlust of the Roman Empire with the Colosseum and all that kind of stuff. Let's get more violent. Let's get more extreme. Let's get more... See what I'm saying? Folks, they let snowboarding into the Olympics. <laughs> now, I'm a snowboarder, but what is that? That's going from figure skating... To these extremes. Now, you know, I love snowboarding. I'm not saying it shouldn't be there. It's, it's actually quite a, a tough skill, okay? But what I'm saying is this hunger for more and more extreme energy drinks till your heart explodes. What I'm saying is coffee's good enough. No. Um, as a mature Christian man, there needs to be some stableness to your life, some temperance, some self-control. He's not easily rattled. He's not easily shaken. He's even keel. You know, we, we've become in our society, everything is so extreme, that we're always pendulum swinging. Extreme high, extreme low, extreme high, extreme low. We finally go to the doctor. I can't figure this thing out. I'm extreme high and extreme low. And so to bring you down from your extreme highs, it gives you a downer. To bring you up from your extreme lows, it gives you an upper. And next thing you know, you're bipolar because you're up, you're down. You're up, you're down. You're up, you're down. And then we get dependent on these drugs that just further the problem and then it attacks our sobriety and these things all start to fall apart. But a godly man has learned to be careful in nothing, but in everything with prayer and thanksgiving, with supplication, let your request be known to God. It's not rattling him. How come these things aren't bothering you? What, you got laid off? How come you're not ripping your hair out right now? Because I know my God's got this. What things didn't go as you thought? What, you had a miscarriage? What, you had, whatever the case may be, you know, you're, you're just even keel. What's going on? I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. How? Faith. I've learned how to walk with God. This is the goal for these aged men. By the way, how do you become like the aged men? That's where that mentorship comes in place. That's where the older men are to teach the younger. The older women are to teach the younger women. And to challenge and to grow. Let's continue. Sound in faith. Interesting uh, word sound there. It's only used a few times in, uh, in scriptures and, and many times in Titus here. But it's where we get the word for hygiene. It's a purity of your faith. It's a cleanliness, if you would. You're sound in your faith, and you haven't tainted it. You have not dirtied it. You have not muddied it. You know what you believe. This, this goes along with verse number one, where you're sound in doctrine. You're sound in your faith. 
and, uh, and, and, and as a believer, folks, this is, this is that maturity level where we're learning. You know, we're not, we're not being tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. We, we know we believe. We know why we believe it. I, was, uh, I mentioned Derek there. I commended him because I told him, I said, you know what? When you figure out some of these things that you're studying, that you're working through, you can be a great communicator of these things. He's really wrestling through some things. Uh, um, and uh, he's not questioning his faith or anything like that, but he's, he's wanting to have a good answer on some of these things that he does believe. And I said, that's awesome. Because one day you're going to be sound in faith in that area. You have a good defense. It's going to be very pure. It's going to be as pure as the scriptures. Why? Because that's where you studied it and that's where you pulled it from. It's not going to be tainted with all these worldly philosophies. It's not going to be tainted. By the way, nobody ever became a Calvinist from reading their Bible. I just want to say that. There's something where faith has been tainted. There's a lot of filthy theological things out there that tainted the faith once delivered to the saints. And when we've, when we've studied it, and, and as the words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in the furnace seven times, it's going to be sound. It's going to be pure. It's going to be clean. And so know what you believe. In charity. Men, we need to be the most loving, sacrificially loving people on the planet. Godly men. I don't know, it sounds kind of sissy. No, you know how manly it is. You're never more like Christ than when you learn to live charity. Who laid down his life for us. That's what charity does. Husbands, love your wives. Agape, charity, your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Learn to lay down your lives for others. Look not every man on his own things, but on the things of others also. Esteeming others better than yourselves. Folks, that is the mark of a servant. They're living a life in a charity fashion of how can I meet your needs? How can I bless you? How can I encourage you? How can I give for you? That is a godly man. That is a mature man. That is an aged man in Christ. In charity, in patience. In patience. Boy, we can spend some time on patience. You know, things don't always go the way you planned, the way you hoped. And when we're talking about the context of a church, you talk about the leaders, and I was talking about the men of the church. Men, we need to have patience with each other. We need to have patience with our wives, with our children. With your preacher. These are all things that try us. And it's amazing how we just sort of cut and run. Every time things get uncomfortable, I'm just not entertained there anymore. We won't say it that way. We'll say, I'm just not fed anymore. Um, here are my feelings. You didn't mention my new haircut. Sorry, Marion, your hair looks really nice. I asked your mom, I said, uh, is that haircut new? She's like, it's been a couple weeks. I said, okay, I won't say anything. But no, I said something. <laughs> He didn't mention. He didn't notice my haircut. They didn't mention my new tie. It's amazing. You'd be surprised what we'll get offended over. He went five minutes over what he said he would preach, and we leave. Patience. So, as men of God, we're challenged. The men of the church, the taking up the leadership, being the example, setting the example. As new believers come in, as lost people come in, as uh, as mature Christians come in, and they're checking things out. They're going to look to the men, and they're going to say, "Are these men? Are they? Uh, do they speak things that are sound doctrine? Do they do double talk? 
I've been told many times, by the way, let me just go ahead and tell you, never say this to me, okay, guys? Never say this. Preacher, we're behind you. And we're never leaving. 100% of the time, they're the ones that are leaving us. That's been my experience. You talk about double talk. We're behind you, preacher. I didn't realize you were so far behind, so you're out of the blasting zone. Just want to blow them out of the water. Preacher will take a bullet for you, and the next thing you know, they want to give me a bullet. All I'm saying is this, folks, let's, let's, be solid. Let's, 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 let's be committed to this thing. Let's say it's going to take a little bit more than just a little offense here or, or uh, even a big offense. By the way, it must needs to be that offenses will come. Folks, as men, uh, by the way, you know, we talk about manliness. We talk about these kinds of things. You want to be, you want to be a real man? <laughs> take of an offense and quit crying about it. Amen. Take an offense like a man. Jesus took some offenses for me. Be mad about it. Now, I'm not going to say it like that in the counseling office, okay? If you want to come and we'll talk about it, okay? I'll be more gentle. We'll walk through it. We'll, we'll get to the victory. But the reality is this, folks. We need to take the steps to get the victory. Right. Get bitter and bottle it up or we explode or that's it. We're leaving this church. We're never going back. We're worse yet. We're never going to church again. Be careful. Man, let's take up the lead. We've seen the qualifications of the pastors and the church leadership. We've seen the warning of the ones we're protecting against. And now we've seen the men of the church. We'll get to the women. We'll get to the younger. But, um, but what a challenge as, as we've got some great instruction in this pastoral epistle of really what makes up a healthy church. And I would say so far as we've looked at this, there are a lot of very unhealthy churches today. And may we endeavor, I'm so thankful that we kind of, in a sense, have a fresh start, a clean slate. Let's lay down a proper foundation and say, God, if this is what you want from a church, let's do it right. Let's lay it down. This is what we are endeavoring for. So men, as we have our men's breakfast, so we have different things going on, these are the things we want to challenge each other in. We want to say, let's become good old men, these aged men. And let's have some 13, 14, 15, 16, 17-year-olds be aged men. Why? Because they're maturity. Hell, no man despise that youth, but be that an example to the believer. I think about Charles Spurgeon, 17 years old when he became the pastor, 19 years old when he was called to pastor the largest church in London, probably the largest church in the world. 19 years old. And as I've read about Spurgeon and I've seen some of his writings and so forth, I would say he was an old soul. <laughs> he was an old man from a very young age. And folks, we need to not keep delaying it, pushing off, and holding on to our youth. When it comes to spiritual maturity, we should embrace it. We should chase after it, pursue after spiritual maturity. We will be godly men and women. Let's have a word of prayer. And uh, Father, we thank you.